Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. We're going to talk some Cubs. Uh, they haven't played in a while. They haven't even played. These lazy players not even playing a game all week. Just kidding. Ha 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 ha. That's a dad joke for you. It's the all-star break. And uh, I mean, a couple Cubs participated. We had Wilson Contreras. He reached base on an error. So that was the exciting outcome for him at the all in the all-star game. And Ian Happ walked. So yeah, it was thrilling. If you were watching it exclusively for Cubs related content, which I was, it was, uh, it was really exciting. <laughs> um, you know, I guess I do want to mention, you know, we'll, we'll talk uh, obviously today about a little bit more about the Cubs draft and about the next two weeks coming out of the break for the Cubs. But I did want to note, and I'd be curious your guys' experience with, um, you know, watching the All-Star game and the festivities, uh, if there was anything notable or interesting for you. But I think the most interesting thing for me is this was the first year that I watched the pageantry and the game uh, a little more closely with my son. He's nine. Uh, he's not super into baseball. He has like a passing interest in all sports, um, but he he doesn't have that same passion that his old dad does. And uh, it hasn't been my interest to like force it on him. If he if he gets interested in it, cool. If not, that's cool too. Um, but he was really into wanting to watch it this year. And what I found interesting is his relationship to it and the way he experienced it and the excitement that he got from it was entirely player specific guys he recognized names he was like oh that's that guy oh that's that guy um you know the game itself and sort of the action of the game and you know any of those things he could seemingly take or leave it was just he was interested in the the players just like the biggest names and knowing like, okay, well, why is this guy a big deal? Why is this guy a big deal? Um, which I thought was interesting in relation to a lot that we hear about, um, not to take one personal anecdote and extrapolate it across the entire universe of people. But we do talk a lot about how baseball's challenge with marketing its stars and connecting fans to its biggest names and, I don't have an answer for that challenge, but perhaps I do have now a little bit of uh, personal confirmation that, yeah, when it comes to kids, they really do like the idea of like stars and like the the biggest names and feeling like they are participating in uh, an era where like this guy's a big name, this guy's a big name. And, uh, you know, I just, I thought that was interesting. That was, that was my experience of the game this year. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's it's not too dissimilar uh, to how my son kind of got into it as well. I mean, I think the Home Run Derby was one of the first things that caught his eye a few years ago, and uh, and and now, I mean, he, he's fan. He's a fan of like individuals more than just being a, a fan of a team. Because I mean, you look at his like jersey collection, and it's all sorts of players and. Uh, all sort. It's, there's. It's not just Cubs. It's there's Cubs. There's uh, Tim Anderson. There's uh, Eloy Jimenez. There's Fernando Tatis Jr. There's Juan Soto. So he loves the players more than just uh, focusing on indivi- uh, individual teams. Which is, I mean, uh, that's partly how I, you know, 
kind of market the game to him too right like i've always said like it's more fun to like watch all these players than just focus on one team look at all these fun young players and and he can and he enjoys it uh in that aspect so i i see something similar with my son but again brett we could be living in our little bubble where we're trying to promote the game in that fashion to our kids and and that's what's happening and and they're just you know uh seeing what we what we talk about hearing what we talk about seeing how we watch the game and and it's more about uh this is like how fun is it to watch a player like vladimir guerrero jr or julio rodriguez like that that was really fun to just watch him uh and you know there's so much young talent in the game that it's hard to to not fall in love with some of these young exciting players yeah, I mean, it was super fun watching Vanderbilt play the like Y2K Astros in those <laughs> uniforms. Like, you know, I think Manfred is an easy target and some of this stuff, you know, doesn't really matter like what the uniforms are, but it was just like so classic, so like Major League Baseball in 2022 to have one team look like a Vanderbilt Commodores college baseball team and then have no idea like that people who watch all-star games, that was always a highlight yeah. and like it, you know, it doesn't really matter. The game's not gonna, they're gonna, you know, it's not going to grow or not grow because of this, but it was just like such a touch point of like how just out of touch the commissioner's office seems to be. And just how um, the, you know, their relationships with, uh, corporate sponsors and partners like just trumps just kind of basic common sense of what a lot of people grew up on like oh that was cool seeing you know all the different jerseys on the field and being you know easily recognizable of like okay which ones were Juan Soto again the guy that you know the, the Nationals are trying to trade and like you know where's Wilson Contreras the guy the Cubs are trying to trade like in these just like all white with gold lettering uniforms so just it's just silly, but it's just also very um, on brand for Major League Baseball today. <laughs> Reminiscent a bit of the Players Weekend uniforms from a few years ago, where they were literally just white and just black. <laughs> but it's like, wow, that is that's some exciting stuff right there. Um, yeah, so uh, that was the All Star Game. You know, the game itself, whatever. I, you know, I think it is better than some of the other sport all-star games. Uh, the nature of baseball is such that you can still pretty much play it straight up compared to some of the other sports where it's it's a little hard to have like an exhibition football game. That's, that's just a challenging thing to do. So um, I, I like that. And I think it was neat to see Giancarlo Stanton do his thing. And, um, you know, I appreciate it, but I, I am ready to get back to... Um, you know, regular baseball, even even as devoid of competitive meaning. Careful this, what you wish yeah, for there, Brad. <laughs> this year for the Cubs. <laughs> I guess before we turn to that, one last thing to leave from this week uh, is the MLB draft. Paired with the All-Star festivities, I think, uh, in my mind, quite unsuccessfully, um, was one of those things that seemed like a good idea on paper, but it ends up being just, uh, you know, to me, and I might be biased because I'm someone who has to cover all this stuff, but um, I felt like I couldn't engage as much with either the all-star stuff or the draft stuff. I, you know, I sort of had to choose and I didn't really care for that. And I don't know that the payoff of like 
trying to drum up more interest in a draft that is inherently going to have limited interest for casual fans. I, I just don't know that that's really worth it. But setting that aside, Cubs draft was uh, carried forward from the first night where they took uh, college pitcher and Kate Horton in the first round and in high school pitcher Jackson Ferris in the second round. And then they ended up taking another, uh, let's see, 18 picks, I believe 14 uh, were pitchers. Um, very, very pitching heavy draft, which some of that, at least with day two, where it's the bonus pool picks and you have uh, a need for certain underslot decisions there in rounds six through 10, a lot of the Cubs have historically chosen pitchers in that range. So, I mean, I didn't leave day two thinking that there was necessarily a um, strategy involved in specifically targeting pitchers in this draft. Uh, but by the end of day three, it was clear that there was, because uh, most, almost exclusively their upside swings were on the pitching side. And I found that interesting. And Cubs VP of scouting, Dan Kantrovitz, uh spoke to what the thinking was on that. And I don't know if either of you guys participated in that, but I'll, I'll throw it to you guys to discuss a little bit of what the thinking was in the Cubs going so pitching heavy this year. Well, on that call, Dan, you know, explain, I guess there were two calls on day one and day three, and that I think Horton surprised a lot of us, uh, a guy who got hot at the right time, and um, they felt really strongly about for several different reasons, and that I guess you look at that pick in conjunction with Ferris, and you kind of evaluate those two as kind of like a a package deal. I guess we'll see where the numbers shake out in the end in terms of a bonus structure. And that as they got deeper into the draft, um, it became of weighing player X who's available in the draft versus player Y who's in their minor league system already. And that because of minor league contra contraction, because of the deals the Cubs have made at the trade deadline and, you know, going all the way back to the U Darvish deal that, they do have a lot of young position players kind of in the mix already. And, you know, there's only so many at-bats, there are only so many innings, and you can never have enough pitching. And that over and over and over again, they bet on pitching uh, versus a hitter. That they didn't – that draft prospect had to be better than what they already had. And in the end, they tilted heavily towards pitching. I'm still uh, gathering information, and I have a few more uh, calls to make today, uh, and, and that'll really help me uh, kind of put everything in perspective. But uh, as far as, you know, the names that they picked, the guys that they picked, I, I there was a lot of surprise so far in what the people that I've talked to with Horton uh, being selected there. And uh, while... Uh, some people said, you know, we weren't our team didn't have them on the you know, we weren't going to take them in the first round. They they still understood the pick. They still understood what what uh, the thought process was and why why the Cubs may be a little bit more aggressive there. And uh, one of the comps which I found interesting was uh, Walker Bueller in the sense that Bueller fell to, I believe, the Dodgers at 18 uh, the year that he was picked around there. Now, that's maybe that's where Horton uh, deserved to be picked, right? But the Cubs wouldn't have been able to get him there, right? The Cubs have one pick where they can they can't trade down. They can't they they liked him and and like we like was discussed before, 
it was kind of a package deal with Ferris. Uh, but when you when you get a guy like this who probably it falls in the fifteen to twenty area in most drafts, but uh, you're you're being aggressive because it's a it's a hitter friendly draft and and you wanted this pitcher. Uh, I can I it's going to be interesting for me to see where this is in five years, right? Because if he is Bueller, if he, I mean, let's maybe not as good as Bueller, but if he is a, a number two, like some, uh, like some scouts said, he, he has a chance to be, uh, then you don't think about passing up on Brooks Lee or Kevin Parada or any of those other guys, right? You, it, it doesn't matter. He, he became what you hoped he can become. Uh, what I'm curious about is, is what more the Cubs see with him, right? This is, I think this may be an indication, not not solely, uh, but I think part of this, part of their strategy has to be some sort of indication of their trust in pitching development uh, and, and the direction that that's headed. Uh, they see a guy who learned to pitch in the middle of the season and quickly took to it and was able to implement it and bring it into a game. All right, so we they know that about him, right? He can take the coaching, he can take the instruction and bring it into a game quickly. Well, this is a this is already a pitching development infrastructure that's kind of been known for trying to implement stuff like that quickly on the fly, teach guys things. Uh, so he's got the aptitude as far as just this one example, right? Beyond that, well, what do they see? What do they see with how that slider moves with, okay, can we teach him a curveball? as well or is there a different pitch that they believe because it's really hard to see a guy with with a fastball and, and a slider and you know a, a passable uh, a change up that flashes and a, and a curveball that's uh you know uh average saying like okay that's a that's a future really top tier starter right so there's got to be something else here which which Patrick and I will obviously dig into over the coming days and weeks and, and you know, over the course of his development. What What is the process here? What What are the expectations? What more are you going to do? Because this guy can't be fastball slider, fastball slider, as, as good as uh, those pitches may be. And and I've heard mixed reviews on the fastball, the four-seamer, but uh, just in general, uh, it's, a, it's still a average to plus pitch uh, on velocity alone, right? So... So it, that I think that's going to be the key. What's what are what do they see with him, and what are the developmental goals as far as adding pitches and and kind of pushing him through the system? And there's also the layer with him that um, you know folks have discussed before that it it's not just the bet on the repertoire deepening and liking what you've got so far. It's also a guy who uh, was coming back from Tommy John surgery and. Uh, focused solely on baseball only recently and focused solely on pitching only recently. And you sort of, it isn't hard against that backdrop to craft a story where it's like, yo, the Cubs believe in that pitching infrastructure now and they just drafted the best piece of clay they could have possibly drafted. And I, and I, I agree with you. The, the, that's the bet. And evaluating that is going to take several years and that'll be true for the draft as a whole. Um, when you go with so much, so many of these uh, high risk swings on the pitching side as the Cubs have um, most are going to miss, uh, but you're, you're, you're betting on yourself. You're betting on your own ability to have scouted well enough to pair them with the development 
infrastructure that you now have in place to turn into some wins two, three, four years down the road. Uh, more turning to more near term talent acquisition. Uh, we got the trade deadline coming in two weeks. Um, and we know uh, what, what, what's, what's the quote Mooney? You, you said it, uh, it's, it's Wilson Contreras. And he said, what? Uh, let me pull it up. So I get it exactly right. I should remember it was, it was fun. It was basically in between packing for the all-star game on, on Sunday night. He had just, uh, filled up one duffel bag, got dressed up, sprayed on some cologne. And it was, uh, we all know what's going on around here. <laughs> and that's yes. like, might as well just put that one on a t-shirt. You yeah, know? that like, is, <laughs> that sums it all up. And it's the, it's the title of this episode. Probably. Uh, we all know what's going on. <laughs> there you on go. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it's go time for as, as much as the draft we talked about has been referred to as the Super Bowl for organization building. That is true. But when you are in a rebuilding window, the trade deadline is uh, equally important. And for the Cubs, uh, as we saw last year at the deadline, and we'll see again this year, um, you can do some very significant things for your organization if you nail this process. And um, hopefully the Cubs won't have too many more consecutive years like this to do it. And so I think with Wilson Contreras in particular, um, I, I can only imagine the pressure to get that deal right, um, especially because last year, you know, the Cubs had arguably upwards of four pieces of similar impactfulness and ability to generate a significant return this year. Uh, again, a lot of potential pieces to move that are going to be interesting to teams. And, you know, we could perhaps have a debate on the relative value of a guy like David Robertson, but potentially Wilson is it in terms of generating uh, the kind of organization shifting move that we saw last year at the deadline. And so um, it's, it is, it is hard for me to see what that, what the next two weeks are going to be like knowing how important that is both in terms of like, you know, this is a guy who's had a couple little hamstring scares this year and how cautious will the Cubs be in that regard. And um, this is a guy who's actually quietly been really struggling at the plate lately and how will the Cubs handle that both in terms of deployment and framing you know maybe it's like ah well you know he's he's dealing with the swirl of these rumors and once he gets to where he's going he'll that attack mindset will come back and whatever I mean it's just I don't know I think about these things a lot and it'll it'll come to us over the course of these next two weeks but it's um coming out of this break it, it's the stuff that's top of mind for me yeah, I mean, you bring up the struggles at the plate. I think in July, it's like a negative weighted runs created plus overall. Uh, it's It's been a rough month so far. Uh, luckily, it's it's coming off the All-Star break. Let's, for the Cubs, let's see if it's if that's all he needed. Just a little reset, uh, some games off. And, and usually that, that helps a guy like him uh, kind of reset and, and get back at it. Uh, it's it's especially important in my mind because that's what you're selling. You're selling the bat. You're not selling this guy that this uh you know it, he's not known for being this tremendous game planner and framer and elite 
you know, he works his butt off and he and he's learned the game planning system with the Cubs. But is he the type of player that you acquire middle of the season? And it's like, yeah, this guy just has a mind for it. this guy just knows how to be a catcher and knows how to work with the pitching staff. I, he doesn't have that reputation. So it's going to be hard to say, like, you can integrate this catcher into your system within a week. All you need is a couple of days of him sitting down with your coaches and he'll he'll be down pat and be the veteran leadership for your staff. That's not the guy that he is. He's the guy that's like he'll get the job done behind the plate and mash and you have an all star and it, and it works. You take the you take the offense because it's that special. Right. That's that's what Wilson's known for. And you can win with all sorts of catchers. And that's the type that he is. Uh, I just uh, I just you don't want to see the slump continue if you're the Cubs on offense because he's uh, I mean, he was at a pace that was like, ooh, this guy's on another level offensively this year. And, and a couple cold weeks has kind of brought it down to reality where he's still obviously an all star caliber uh, player. But it's it's, you know, it, it's not like with Javi where uh, you can convince a team like. Hey, even if he's not hitting, you're getting an elite defender at a at a really important position, and and you know that hey, this guy this guy will turn it on in a city like New York type thing. Uh, you you can't. It's harder to sell it in that fashion, I think. So you just want to see a couple good games here, get him find him find his rhythm, and and uh, really find a way for the Cubs to maximize that return because right now that's. That's what it is. It, you know, you, you talk about selling and I know this is a completely different topic, but I, I still think like there's I know it's not the right time. I know it's a, it's a rebuild, but there's no reason why the Cubs shouldn't be in on Juan Soto. Like the, any team that trades for him is is likely going to extend him. So you, you can talk about, oh, you can get him in two and a half years. He's not going to be available. No team's going to trade what it's going to take to trade him and not hand out that insane contract that he deserves. You're talking about a guy that's 23 years old, hits like Ted Williams, and, <laughs> I mean, is the type of MVP talent that you hope one of these prospects comes close to because none of them are going to be as good as Juan Soto because Juan Soto is insanely good. If you don't if you don't realize that, then, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you because he's insanely good, that a generational-type hitter, and... And people are like, oh, I don't want to sell the farm for him. Okay, well, you're never going to have a player like that on your team. So you can you can say you don't want to sell the farm for him, but good luck finding a player close to his caliber. You're not developing one, and you're not finding one outside of Juan Soto. So uh, that, I, I mean, we could discuss that for hours, I'm sure, but that's just, like, I, I don't understand any pushback on trying to get a Juan Soto. I know it's not the perfect timing, but there's he's available now, so it is the perfect time. Sahana, I pictured you on your vacation in like uh, a room with like, I don't know, like some like homeland, like all these like Soto photos up there or the, or, you know, the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like writing on a chalkboard, like trying to figure this out. And I thought you put it well in our recap of like, you know, it would take something along these lines of listing six players and like, like dot, dot, dot. And the Nationals might laugh at that offer and like hang up because like if you're the Nationals, why do you want to like switch places uh with the cubs and i don't i personally don't see how the cubs were so worried about giving up a precious a precious draft pick one to sign carlos correa to like a deal that might be like half of what soto would command why they'd give up six or seven pieces and five i i just 
don't see it at this uh, moment, but I am uh, grateful to Ken Rosenthal for uh, breaking that story and giving us <laughs> something to talk about. Um, you know, and if he doesn't get traded by August 2nd, then we got, you know, a whole nother off season of Soto rumors. I think that will be then they definitely uh, entertaining. Get it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing is, uh, I think if you are a Cubs fan who hopes that there is a chance that the Cubs would get involved in these conversations, your rooting interest over the next two weeks is that a deal does not come together because while Sahadev is right, if you're interested in Juan Soto, I don't care what your standing is right now. This is the opportunity to get him and you have to make your move. Now Uh, that said, there is a reality of the efficiencies of markets that if you have no use for him this year, if there, if you're getting zero value from him this year, which I would argue the Cubs would be, then your correct price tag for him should be lower than it would be for a team that's, you know, going to the postseason. Um, again, we could have the debate about like, well, the Cubs should not operate efficiently in that respect. Fine. But then you run into this idea that I would point to that there are or should be some interested clubs out there that simply can make a better offer than the Cubs. Like the Cubs have a, you know, I'll keep beating this drum. The Cubs have a remarkably improved farm system. It is, uh, the the deepest in legitimate prospects that I can remember in my, you know, many, many years following and covering this team. But what they are still sort of lacking is, are the kinds of truly impactful, very close to the majors or just emerging the majors type talent. Um, that It's not that type of farm system. And I think when you're talking about trading for a guy who more or less has no fair trade. You know, there is no fair trade for Juan Soto. Um, At a minimum, the Nationals are going to be looking for transformation. I mean, they're going to be, it's going to, they're going to need guys who are going to emerge in the next year or two uh, and be truly in fact impactful, not Juan Soto caliber because that does not exist. Um, But significantly more impactful than I think the Cubs could offer in the next year or two. So unless they were, unless the Nationals were looking for a a volume type deal, um, I don't know that the Cubs are going to be the right trade partner in any case. But circling back, if you would like to hold out that little bit of hope, which candidly I would because I love Juan Soto (laughs) and I would love him to be on the Cubs for the next 15 years. uh, I will be rooting quite strongly that, for whatever reason, the Nationals just keep their demands too high or Scott Boris inserts himself and the right bidder is not a good fit and he won't extend with that team, whatever it is. It gets past the trade deadline and no deal happens. And then we can, uh, both because it's fun, but also because, again, I, I would hope as a Cubs fan that there'd be some way to explore this in the offseason. We can get back to it in November. Um yeah, and no, no doubt we could go on about the merits well, of, tr- of of the so way it so. happens. The the way it the the dream scenario is the guys that they trade for, whether it's a you know in Contreras and Hap and and Robertson, whoever. Uh, those guys all have great second halves. They're already top one hundred. Pro- one of them's a top well, one hundred prospect can I ask- or something. Those guys have. Cade Horton comes out and has a. Uh, a great, uh, you know, three, four starts, however many outings he has. And, and people are like, ooh, what's going on with this guy? This guy, they picked the right guy at number seven. And 
and you have all these guys pop in the second half. That's, I mean, you just need health and and a, a great second half from the system, and then all of a sudden, oh, Kevin Alcantara is actually a top 50 guy, and Pete Crow Armstrong's a top 30 guy, and it's like, okay, now you have all this, right? So it's, a, it's not realistic for that to happen, uh, but it's not really realistic to trade for, no, like, like I always say with, when it comes to trades or signings, like, it's very unlikely that your team gets the guy. Like, whether it's a free agent or a trade, uh, odds are your team that you want to get that guy doesn't get him. Like, that's just how it works. There's so much that goes into it. So uh, there is, like, this dream scenario where the farm system really clicks in the second half, especially with Brennan Davis looking like he's recovering and could come back in August. Like, that that type of stuff is what they need to happen. Like good things and guys look healthy. Guys look, ooh, yeah, this guy looks really impressive. Oh, look at the second half. Look at this guy. Okay. And that's and that's really when we see that like the midseason prospect changes aren't as in-depth as the off-season prospect changes, right? Because you get a lot more information, a lot more people talking, a lot pe- a lot more people saying like, well, we just saw, you know, five months of this guy and that, that's, that dude's on another level now type stuff. Well, can I ask you guys, maybe this is where we'll wrap it. Is there any, it's not, I don't want to say truth to, but like, let's imagine a scenario where it's getting close to the trade deadline. And because the entire industry is going to be following the Soto stuff closely. I mean, literally every team, even those not involved, are going to be following it closely because the ramifications and the ripple effects would be so significant as to alter other corners of the market if you are the cubs and you know we can't create the right deal for him now it's just not possible but you start to get a sense that a deal is not going to happen for him right now does that change in any way your thinking with respect perhaps even very specifically to an ian hap trade does it make you think you know what, we need to trade him now so that we can load up uh, and have more of a chance at, and I, I, that may seem like a ridiculous question, but again, Juan Soto is singular. It's not, there is, it's almost like an NBA trade. You, you, you would, I think, be thinking about how could we give ourselves a 5% better chance of making this happen. And so I guess I'm answering my own question. From my perspective, I think you do think about that but i'm curious your guys thoughts and then maybe we'll leave it there yeah i mean i think it's you know it's a part of the equation but not something major that you should be considering in that situation because like i just said like in all likelihood you're not getting this guy right but i i think more what you're considering more in that situation is is the fact that what's what's your strength right now in your farm system, it, whether it's guys that, you know, maybe aren't the elite prospects, but are like depth type players that could pop at AAA or just like Pete Grow Armstrong, Brendan Davis and Kevin Alcantara. They're all outfielders. Right. So you have that uh, situation there. And and the fact that maybe Hap's at his highest value. He's an all star. Uh, finally is put together consistent three months are you betting that he's got uh that this is the future that this is what he is for the next eight years of his career or are you betting that uh you this is max value right now as far as what what you can get for him and and what he can provide for your team uh so i I think those things all matter more 
And then also, like, what what else are you getting in a Wilson Contreras trade? What what if the best offer back is another outfielder that's at like double A, right? Uh, so those are all things that I think you consider over Juan Soto just because, like I said, ninety nine point nine percent chance that he's not coming to your team. I think Cap's gone as soon as the Cubs get the right offer, right? I mean, I don't think that has to be independent. Whatever their Ivy system tells them is probably what they're going to do, right? I mean, there's in terms of a, if you could trade KB, Javi, and Rizzo within 24 hours, you're, you're not going to be so emotionally to Ian Happ or worry about the blowback from the fan base, right? And, you know, I just think, you know, if you're going to do something big, I just don't see any evidence from Jed's point of view of being like, I want to give up talent and pay tons of money to get a player. And I hate, you know, throwing cold water on the idea or I'm not trying to like excuse what the Cubs do, but like, wouldn't you just try and wait out Shohei Otani and like give him a crazy deal after 2023, sign a shortstop this off season, load up on pitching. Like I'm, I'm not saying that Cubs should not spend or anything like that. I, I just, I just have a hard time wrapping my brain around Jed pounding the tail and be like, we need Juan Soto now. Now maybe if maybe this was like Theo under pressure a couple of years ago, like maybe, you know, what would Theo do is kind of a, uh, a weird hypothetical like but Jed's kind of like temperament and style I haven't seen it thus far that doesn't mean he's wrong that doesn't mean the Cubs are going to be bad but like a swing like that is just not something I envision him taking and maybe maybe I'm totally misreading it but I think it's really just kind of projecting hope onto it more than like anything we've seen from this front office thus far oh yeah I think that is a very um, capable read of what you know of of the evidence before us. I think a lot of the conversation is more about shoulds than woulds, and I think it's important to remember too that even in a world where the Cubs or some other team were aggressively exploring this idea of adding Juan Soto, you you have to view it in tandem with everything else that you're going to do over the next decade to make it work into a competitive team. Because as we've seen with the angels for now going on a very long time, uh, they've got two of the what best three players in baseball and they've had them for many years and they're not a good team. They're just repeatedly disappointing. And that isn't because they have good play. You know, the nationals aren't bad this year because they have Juan Soto. It's that there's still a lot more that has to go into it. And I do uh, respect the perspective of those who point out that the acquisition cost of bringing in Juan Soto makes that job harder. Um, the response becomes another should, which is, well, that's when you should use your financial resources to surround a generational player with talent. But again, we don't have evidence uh, currently that would support that being an approach this front office and this ownership group would take in the near term. So, uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll, you know what? We'll just root for no trade in the next couple weeks and then we'll take it from there. Uh, 
<laughs> until plus then. you know he's he's gonna like go to the cardinals and spend like his yeah. next 15 years in st louis torturing <laughs> cups fans and they're not even gonna <laughs> give up jordan walker in that deal and it's just like <laughs> gonna, yeah don't i i so i i so i was texting with someone and they were planting that seed about what the structure could look like and i'm like don't i do not want i don't want to even entertain this world uh because i still you know the cardinals have obviously been very good and competitive for a long time but like seeing Pujols get all the love this week it does give me flashbacks to that era where it was just like (laughs) how the hell do they have Pujols and Edmonds and Roland all back to back all hall of fame caliber players Edmonds got screwed by the way I mean I don't love the guy but he should have stayed on the ballot more than one year if you really dig in on his numbers but just having those guys back to back for years and years and years and it's just like when are these guys gonna leave uh yeah I don't want that again it's already bad enough with Arenado and Goldschmidt yeah (laughs) oh god great ending great ending to this podcast I was about to say depressed Brett this is the Chicago Bleeping Cubs podcast here on The Athletic, <laughs> on to Waveland. I'm Brett Taylor. You can read my stuff at Bleacher Nation, my angry stuff about the Cardinals. I'm going to get off this podcast and just write something hostile about the Cardinals to try to assuage <laughs> my feelings. That's Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. They write at The Athletic. Make sure you catch their stuff there and that you subscribe to this angry cast. We will be back at you next week. Uh, and the trade deadline looms. So, indeed, You'll want to be following Sahadev's and Patrick's coverage closely for, um, you know, their takes on the Cubs and what they're doing and what they are going to be doing. And I'll be covering it closely as well. So we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great weekend, everyone.